This is the Enthusiast Guild, a podcast about wonderful and interesting things with the people who enjoy them. I'm Fletcher C. Finch. I'm Adam Zaremski. And our guest today, Dan Trace. So, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a husband, a father of two, been a teacher for 15 years, and I am a Ninja Turtle super fan. <laughs> what does that mean, being a Ninja Turtle super fan? When you're a fan of something, I feel like you love it. And you also can criticize it openly, you know, depending on whether it's food, like I love this, but this really gets to me. Turtles fans in general are very finicky and we're very hard to please because there's so much material. Mm -hmm. You got movies, you got shows, you got everything. I love it all. And I feel like I'm immersed in all of it where I'm not just like, if you were saying that you were an NFL fan, you probably like, you know, your local team or, or a team. But imagine if you liked all the teams. So the same thing with, with the Ninja Turtle universe. I feel like I love it all and I try to get involved in all of it. How long have you been a super fan? There's a, a little abbreviation in the middle there. I was born in 1982 and I became a fan 87, 88, like right when the ascension started of the Fred Wolf cartoon series. And I, I had everything. I mean, I'm sure you guys had everyone that's our age in that 30 to 40 range um, i'm exposing our ages here that's all right <laughs> they had something and you had something weird too it's not like you just had a blanket or you, mm -hmm. you know you had a, a a slip cover not not a pillowcase and not a sheet but like a slip cover underneath or you had let's not forget the green pies from hostess i was just thinking of that I forgot that until this very moment and I can picture it. The stickers. Mm -hmm. And I still have some of those. Like I remember you'd get it and at the bottom there's like the, I'm just standing basically very still. Marketing, right? You got to be able good. to market it. Not only was it green and filled with vanilla power pudding, but it was, <laughs> you got a sticker bonus. And if you were really lucky, you got a hologram sticker because what was more in early 1990s, maybe Pogs, but hologram. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have the hologram one? Oh yeah. And like the idiot I was, I peeled that sucker off and I put it on my bedpost, you know, and you didn't have it forever. Can you describe what you're wearing right now? Well, my choice flannel, but other than that, everything else is turtles. I have a Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird first turtle, which was the first image of a turtle that was drawn in 1984 as a shirt. I have a Ninja Turtle mask on, COVID mask, and I have a Ninja Turtle pin from the Mirage series. So early comic book era. And it's, it's Raphael. So that's my mood right now. I'm feeling a little frisky. All right. What was it about the Turtles that caused you? Why did you become a fan? And is that the same reason you're still a fan? Or is there something else to it? It's a good question. When the Turtles came out, the, the comic book came out first. And I, and I was two. So there was no way my parents were going to let me look at that. Because the comic book is completely different than what many people know as the Turtles today very dark. The Fred Wolf cartoon series in the late 80s was my first dive into that pool. And it was different. You know, think of the other things that are out during that time. You got G.I. Joe, you got He-Man, you got these groups of people and they're all basically human. I know some people in the, in the He-Man universe were not human, but you have a lot of similarities. The turtles were just so different. You have this group of four, so you don't have a super large team. They're all completely different personalities. So there's something that you can relate to. And the marketing on it 
there was just stuff everywhere. And I feel like if you were our age, you had to be in on it. Mm -hmm. And there was a product. I think the only people that have marketed more maybe are Kiss because they have the Kiss coffin. You know, I haven't seen a turtle coffin yet, (laughs) but there was a turtle product for everything. And I think getting engrossed, you were a turtle fan. The, The question growing up, in our age wasn't, do you like the turtles? It was, what turtle do you like? That mm-hmm. was the question. And, you know, why don't we go there right now? Dan, what turtle? Did, did you, do you still like the same turtle now? Or has it changed over the years? I've matured, Adam. So I've, uh, <laughs> I've, I've gone through the progression. We've grown up as we've enjoyed our turtles. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to do a lot of things in life, but, you know, my, my choice in turtles is like how some people rate their, their wines. Growing up, I liked Raph initially because on the 1987 series, he was a jokester. He made a lot of jokes. He was the one that threw the pizza at the the screen. He was always pulling pranks. And he was voiced by Rob Paulson in the 1987 series. And as I grew up, Turtles kind of went away for a bit. And when I got back into Turtles about five years ago, the 2012 series by Ciro Nielli was on. And Donatello, I recognized the voice right away the same voice actor that did the 1987 Rafa, Rob Paulson. And that hooked me right away. Cause I'm like, okay, it, it's bringing back some of my childhood. And Donatello became my favorite mainly because of the voice, but he was also kind of the wacky or the jokester one in that series. So I guess I've matured, but yet there's still that connection. I think a true turtle super fan though, can feel the all four turtles in them. And I think depending on the day, or my mood. I mean, I'm a parent, so there are times when I see Leo in me and I'm like, oh, I got to deal with this bogusness. You know, my <laughs> kids are doing this, this, and this, and I got to be the responsible one. And then there's days I'm just wacky. There's days I feel incredibly, incredibly in control. And then there's times I just, I mean, you know me, I tend to make a joke or two. So I, I got that raff aspect in me. So I like to think all four turtles reside inside me. How about you? Oh, wow. You know, Growing up, it was always Leo. I think at the time, it was the color blue. So if we're looking at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the cartoon, you know, in the comics, they originally started, they all wore just red, if I'm correct. Originally, the comic was black and white. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're right. When the color came up, they were all red bandanas. Red bandanas. Yeah. Leo was always the favorite. I think maybe because he was like the leader, the cool one. I don't know if he'd be the cool one. Mm-hmm. But I do remember in the playground at school, you know, kindergarten, first grade, it was an argument on who would get to be Leo. And it's like, I'm Leo. No, I'm Leo. A couple would pick Mikey or Raph. I don't know too many get, that went Don. And I think nowadays, because, you know, knowing Dan for all these years, I've fallen back into the turtles myself. And I think I still like Leo, but I do. I think Mikey might be the second one, Michelangelo. There's something just more we're relaxed like, about them. We're like reverse order in terms of our turtle liking, which is fine. Right. Balance, balance is a beautiful thing. So, I, I've been outside the turtle world for a while, but Donatello was my go-to. As my man. Always been about the color purple. I don't know why. It's just... You were the stylish one, so that well, makes sense. Well, thank you. And I remember he was more like the, the gadgets and tech person, or the, the gadgets and tech turtle, I should say. can blow your mind here for a second. So purple... Made uh-huh. by combining red and blue. So Donatello has that, that inside frustration and, and stress of Raphael being a re- rebel. But he also has the wherewithal and the collectiveness to be able to, to be in command. And he's been in the com- command of the Turtles at times when Leo's out. So he's actually a mixture of both their characters and personalities. Hence the, the blue hmm. and red making purple. Now, uh, you know, growing up, 
were you dedicated to watching the the cartoon? Was it always like when it's on, I'm sitting down to watch it? Well, it was on six days a week when they were really pumping it. It was a it was a Monday through Friday on on CBS and and Saturday CBS had it for an hour. They had the the two shows back to back. And there was a, a brief spell where it was on Sundays as well. So you could, I mean, it's not like on demand now where you can watch whatever. You either had to VCR it or or have a, <laughs> a VHS of it, you know, at some point. But I made sure that I was around for it. I mean, Saturday morning cartoons from our age group, I think of that in the 80s. And then I think of the, the Spider-Man and X-Men shows in the early 90s were like my main go arounds with that, that Saturday that morning. That was the shared culture for that age cohort in that era. Right. It was something you could turn to and watch. and then when you got to school you could t- all talk about it in some way i don't know anyone in that age group who does not know the theme song very catchy oh yeah i, I started humming it for a moment i was about to <laughs> sing i'm like nope not going to do that to our listeners right now <laughs> what were some of the other things so you watched the show you had the action figures i'm guessing yeah so speaking of the action figures do you know the history of the turtles and how they came to be no educate us please <laughs> with style <laughs> So Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird were two artists and, and Peter Laird was a little more established and Kevin Eastman was an aspiring artist. So he wrote Laird, they got together, they met at a pizza parlor, where else, right? The Turtles love pizza. And they became friends, started a company called Mirage together, which is what published the Turtles. And one evening in 1983, Kevin Eastman drew a picture and said, hey, this is a Ninja Turtle. And Peter Laird drew his version of it and said, well, why don't we call it a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? It rhymes better. They were having fun. They didn't think this had a chance. At the end of the night, they ended up drawing four of them with four different weapons and they thought that they had something and they ended up drawing more characters. Well, they ended up scraping together $3,000 that they could get a loan from themselves and their uncle and they were able to put together enough money to make a run of 3,000 copies of the first issue and they didn't think anything was going to happen so much so that in the first issue their main adversary Shredder they kill him that's right so issue number one dead (laughs) right they just thought it was a one-off right Mm -hmm. and you can see in it all the different styles that are drawn upon Peter Laird was a uh, big Jack Kirby fan so he's he's a big artist from the 50s and 60s and the turtles themselves are drawn from inspiration of Daredevil. When I'd heard that, that the turtles came from Daredevil, who's a Marvel comic character who gained his powers by pushing a person out of the way of a speeding truck and it had like radioactive material because that was the easy thing to give everyone superpowers in the day. It splashes in his eyes and he goes blind, but he has all of his other senses magnify. And the turtles like... They ripped it off in a way. Yeah. Super ripped it off, which is hilarious when you read that first issue. You take a, we call it a riff, by the way, instead of a ripoff. You know, we (laughs) want to make sure that it's made to sound like, you know, it's out of admiration. Mm -hmm. But what happened was when Daredevil, Matt Murdock pushed that person out of the way, Splinter saw that with his four turtles in his, his little container, his little fishbowl, so to speak. And what happened was one of the ooze containers, the mutagen fell off that and, and hit him. And Splinter himself is based off of a Daredevil character stick. And the turtle's foe, the foot, is based off of the hand. So you, you have all of these things that it's <laughs> I, I in that, that universe. I love that as a takeoff. Is oh, absolutely. The, the foot. That's, that's the, the evil group. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they came up with names. They, you know, you know, you have your Leonardo, your Donatello, your Michelangelo, your Raphael. And 
they told their story and they never thought it was going to happen. Like I said, they, they killed their adversary in the first issue. And then all of a sudden they started seeing the sales report that they sold out. They go through a second printing, a third printing, and a fourth printing, sell out. So they they start making more issues. And then all of a sudden you want to market it, right? You you gotta you gotta market it. And the one thing that you learn about toys is that toys will be successful to kids. So you gotta market it to kids. So here we go with the the TV series, right? So Playmates picks up the toy line and you have the Fred Wolf series in the 80s. And then all of a sudden, merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. And that, that leads to the 90s movie, the Jim Henson uh, inspired characters with the puppets. He worked on the movie and made those puppets. And uh, I didn't realize that Jim Henson was involved. Yeah. There's a lot of cool things that lined up for that movie. Golden Harvest worked with New Line Cinemas and they made a, a movie. And Golden Harvest is known for their Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee movies. So, mm-hmm. I mean... Turtles do martial arts. So it was, it was really well made for, for the budget that they were on. That was the first movie I ever saw at a big screen. It was, really? at, it was at the Aurora theater. My dad took me there. Cause yeah, I would be watching the show and there's, I still recall the trailer where it's like the guy swings and uh, Dan will probably correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, there's a bad guy swinging in a turtle. And I think it was Michelangelo who ducks his head in his shell like a turtle would. And then like, Beats the guy and then says, God, I love being a turtle or something. And you had it right. That was Michelangelo. <laughs> okay. You got to go with your instincts. And yeah, yeah, I saw it at the Aurora Theater mm-hmm. in East Aurora. And yeah, that was the first movie ever. That was a, it was a big moment. Well, and it's funny that you were talking about the, the toy tie in because I feel like the late 80s and, and early 90s were the era for the cartoon toy tie ins. And I remember I, I had several Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures including the breakdancing one where he had a, a pizza on his back and you could wind it up and set him down and he would spin around and break dance i also had the one and i i can't recall exactly which character it was but he was in a hat and trench coat because if you're a turtle you can totally pass as a normal human <laughs> if you put on a hat and trench it was coat. donatello is trench donatello. Coat. i mean okay. I, I know I, these I, toys i so. thought so but yeah. You know, it's funny that you, we mentioned the toys and then we mentioned marketing. And the reason that the turtles have different color bandanas is the toys. Because think about if you're trying to sell toys. Wait, we're going to have us sell four turtles that look the same, that are the same color and have all red bandanas. And the only thing that tells them apart is their weapons. Parents aren't going to want to buy four turtles that look the same. So that's the reason they went with the. Absolutely. Interesting. So they, they came up with the four different colors and also the, the letters on the belt. Like that mm-hmm. would have never happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that. Today, that would be lame if we did that, right? You know, if it had like a different like initial on there, you'd, you'd get you'd get made fun of for you, that. You don't have your initial on your belt buckle. <laughs> no. Fletcher's got a big F on it. <laughs> no judgment. But I, I think that in, in, in going back to it to an earlier question here, I think that talks about why I like the turtles so much is they're so malleable. I mean, the turtles are the turtles, but you look at all the iterations and we I mean, look at the stuff we've talked about. We touched on a movie. We touched on an early show. We touched on the comic books and like all the stuff is gold. You have all these different, it doesn't always work that way where you always have something that it'll flop in one of its mediums. Sometimes you're like, you know, it's a good cartoon, but it just doesn't translate well to the big screen or I love the comic book, but uh, this isn't good for a show. So it, it's nice that it works well for all of that.
you mentioned toys and different Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle merchandise. What were some of the things you had? I had more than any human being should have. First off. <laughs> <laughs> I had first off, I, I mean, I had a, a a box that I put my turtles in that had turtles on the outside, you know, like connecting for it. So I had all the toys, all the the serious toys, but then as you mentioned, the trench coat and the break dancing and the the spaceship one, the garbage man one, anything to make a buck, right? Gotta have different types of turtles. But I've always found it interesting the stuff that was not mainstream. I remember having a toothbrush holder that I got, I believe from Burger King, that was like Raphael's face and in his beaker mouth, you put your toothbrush on there. And I mean, you saw that every night and every morning. So it was one of the first things you saw in the morning. It was one of the last things you saw before you went to bed. Like this genius marketing, right? Puts it in your head. (laughs) How about you, Fletcher? I had a sleeping bag, which was, yeah, I I mean, it, it was colorful. It was the classic. You felt like you were part of the show. You were literally surrounded by it. (laughs) There was a one-two punch that went with that sleeping bag. There was also a tent that had like the same, I would say font, but all the turtle font was the same, but Mm -hmm. it had the same like image of them outside the sewer, that multicolored brick background that was on all of those. They were like, if you get this, you might as well get this as well. (laughs) Why not? You just keep adding and just adding, you know, got to build the collection up. How about you, Adam? What what memorable merchandise did you have? Probably the weirdest one is the turtles, as Dan noted, were on everything, did everything, were everywhere. And they had a musical traveling one. And I never got to go to that. But I think Pizza Hut was involved in some way. I mean, obviously pizza and turtles. But they had a cassette for the. <laughs> I, I just want to stop you at that sentence. Obviously pizza and turtles. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how from 1984 and on, turtles and pizza have to be correlated. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good marketing as well. You lend yourself to other products. Right. But yeah, I have a cassette of the musical and I can still think of the one song of Splinter singing Skipping Stones and Coming Out of Our Shells. Was that what the tour was called? The Coming Out of Their Shell Tour. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's when I have looked at certain turtle things on YouTube that's always listed as a low light for them. But it's it's still fascinating (laughs) that that was created. Like, that's pretty good. Did you watch it or... I saw it and and that was during a time when I really wasn't into turtles as much. I kind of had fallen away from turtles, but the tour itself, I think served a good purpose because, you know, that, that wasn't just in the United States that went everywhere to countries that didn't really have access to it. They would just see, they would just see the show. They wouldn't see the show when it came out. They would see the show after the fact and they wouldn't have access to the comic books, access to the toys. So this was like the most accessible that they could be is, you know, uh, you would see turtles on a rooftop throwing down pizzas and masks to some kids that are just fighting over it that don't really have much, but yet they want that turtle mask and that identification for culture. You know, it, that culture reaches everyone. It's not just an American thing. That's to sound cliche and lame. That's turtle power, right? That's bringing people together across the aisle, not just in America, but across the world. So pretty neat. You grew up with this, watched it for years, and now, you know, you are very into it. What happened? You're talking about a break, though. What happened? Growing up, I couldn't have been more into the turtles. And I was extremely fortunate that I had a father that would go along with it. And we would color together. We'd watch the show together. So we got into woodworking and he actually would do wood carvings of the characters. I still have them today and he would would paint them. So that immersion was just helped by him. And we would do all that together. And in the early 90s, uh, he passed away when I was 10. 
And that was right around the time when like I was fully engrossed. You're, you know, you're 10 years old. You're not too old to like turtles. You're not too mm. cool for turtles during that time. But I think because I had such a huge connection with turtles and such a huge connection with him, I couldn't differentiate them. And it was almost, you know, painful to, sure. to be around that at that time. So they went away. It's not like I burned all my turtle stuff or anything like that, but I didn't seek out the show as much. I didn't have that obsessive compulsive of like, I got to watch the new episode. Um, a new toy came out. I have to have it. This is, I see something in the store. Mommy, mommy, buy me that. Cause you know, you're with a single parent now and you know that they can't necessarily afford everything. So turtles took a back seat for me. Also, when, when you get older, you know, society tells you that you're supposed to play a certain game. You, you like cartoons when you're a kid. And then you like sports or you like makeup or you like something, you grow up, you get a job. Like there's a very streamlined process that you're supposed to go through life. And I don't, I don't think it has to be that way. I think you can like whatever you want for as long as you want. You fast forward to around 2017, 2018, right when the 2012 show by Ciro Nielli is actually ending and we're flipping through the channels, me and my, my then two-year-old daughter, and she tells me to stop. She sees the turtles on TV and I, I just start laughing. I'm like, oh, this is a show that I used to watch, daddy used to watch when he was a kid. She's like, leave it for a minute. And mm -hmm. we, we watched it. And I think it took her all of two minutes to get fully immersed in it. And I was maybe a minute behind her at three because I recognized Rob Paulson's voice the minute I heard it. And I was like, oh, so I was on the, the couch next to her with my jaw open and I, I was back in and I wasn't force feeding it to her, but we saw what time it was on TV. So we started watching it and then the show ended because it was the fifth season mm -hmm. and the show then you know, was not on the air is, is often like no new episodes. We'd, we'd catch it in reruns, but they wouldn't necessarily be in order. We couldn't watch it all the time. So I bought the DVDs and she got involved in it. And that just led to her wanting to, if the local Buffalo's best turtles, shout out to them, ever made an appearance somewhere, we'd go see them. If we were drawing, we had, if she wanted me to draw turtles. So it sucked me back in. Cause you know, I did that stuff with my dad. My daughter will never meet my dad. So it's kind of like a way that all three of us can have turtle time together. Again, I talked about how powerful a show or an idea can be. That's bringing two family members together that'll never meet. And that is, that is turtle power. That is amazing. Yeah. And you can see, you know, I've known you've known Parker since she was born and that's a big part of that connection. Do you guys find time to draw a lot? Do you find time just like that you're going to watch some turtles or, you know, something turtle related? Is that kind of. Yeah. As a kid you know, you're going to go through phases when you like stuff. So there's ebbs and flows. If she sees something, it seems to remind her right away. And she's like, let's draw turtles. There's been other things that have been there. Um, X-Men, trolls, but we keep coming back to turtles. We play turtles a lot. She has a, a big play set up in the front room. I never had that as a kid. I was so jealous. I'm like, why couldn't I have this as a kid? <laughs> we draw, man, her first Ninja Turtle that she drew. I still have it. Still on a little post-it note that she had. And then the, the first one she drew with arms and a weapon. So her first turtle that she drew was Mikey. And the first full body she gave me was, uh, was Donnie. So those are in the memory box. We definitely make time to do things like that. You know, as you know, you're, you're a family man. You know how it is that you, you know, you want to spend time with family. And when they take an interest in something that you like, it's very special. You've made it your own too. It's, it's not just that you have these purchased items. It's that she's drawing them and your dad was carving them. And so there's a, a material aspect to it where you have ownership of, of that. And I, I think that's really neat to see across generations. Absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to like something, but to be, you feel like you're a part of it when you create all these things, when you're, when you're drawing the stuff or you're making wood pieces or 
you know, you're, you're both dressing up as a turtle for Halloween, which we did when she was uh, three. It's nice to, to feel immersed because then again, you're part of that culture, but you're also making family memories. It's not just like, and there's nothing wrong with sitting on the couch and watching TV. We do that all the time. But I mean, like, it's so much more than just a show. Mm-hmm. And it feels good, you know. A family time is great, but it feels purposeful. Yeah, yeah, there's an, an active aspect of it. Did it feel good to bring the turtles back then? Like, was it good memories for you too? Yeah, and I'm not sure if you can attest to this. The idea of certain shows don't age well. And you shouldn't necessarily revisit things you loved as a kid because you get disappointed. You know, like, I, I mean, imagine like a food that you liked as a kid, like your Kraft macaroni and cheese. You have this and you're like, oh, what's the big deal about this? I, I kind of felt that about the Fred Wolf series when I rewatched it. I, I mean, it had its place and it, it sucked me in as a kid, but I didn't feel like there was a ton of depth to it. And it was so far from the source material. I talk about the turtle fans being a little, a little finicky about what they they like and I felt that way. And and I didn't give the new Turtle show in 2012 a chance at the onset just because Donatello had a gap in his teeth. How judgmental is that, right? <laughs> Superficial. Man, I suck. But once I watched it, I realized that this is not just a great cartoon. It is a great show and it is the reason that I next to like my daughter being reason 1. This is reason 2 of why I am fully immersed in it and that show is, is everything it, about the Turtles. It caters to the 1987 series. It caters to the comic, um, the original comics, and it caters to the movie. All four of the Turtles that were made um, and designed by Ciro Nielli. You have Raphael, who looks a lot like a Mirage turtle in the show. You have Michelangelo with his, his Jim Henson freckles from the 90s movies. And he has, he's the only one with a really short bandana, like the 1987 series. And you, you see a little, little flavor from, from cartoons put in there because Donatello is drawn in a, um, a Tex Avery style. He kind of looks like Bugs Bunny. If you ever, next time you see him, if you, I'm sure you'll see it when you see his body style next time for the, the shape of his head. Um, it's, it's more of like an egg shape compared to the other turtles in his body style. And then they have the, the Tex Avery style outtakes with the giant eyes and, there, there is so much to like about the series. Um, I could, I could definitely talk about it for a bit. I mean, it's, it's something that I think people would, would, if you enjoy turtles at all, this would suck you in. This was a Nickelodeon show, correct? Like it was on Nickelodeon in 2012. Yeah. Um, it did five seasons on okay. Nickelodeon in 2012. Um, season one would obviously be a great jumping in point for, for anyone. And, uh, you know, we talked about the comics and Shredder getting uh, killed in the first comic. The series does a great job of building up to the entrance of Shredder. You see, the show's about family and the struggle. The turtles had never been out of the lair. And you see this, this struggle of Splinter and this father figure of trying to let go and let them go up to the surface. And just like teenagers, there's this, they, they develop this overconfidence, this cockiness. And they, they actually, we talk about ripping off, and I say riff, because um, he, got, he got Kevin Eastman approval. They actually redid the fight scene from Ninja Turtles 1 in that ninth episode, except for the ending. And the, the, the Ninja Turtles get their butts kicked and they get, they kind of have to go lick their wounds for a bit. And if, if you were going to watch season, season one, expecting to see Shredder right away, I, I think it's a good tease. You know, you, you see a hand at first, <laughs> then you see him talk, mm-hmm. then you eventually see him in, in, you know, 
in a different room interacting with other characters. Then you finally see him fight the turtles and it, you feel like you're rewarded with it. And the, the, the ascending action, the rising action of it is, is so well done for a cartoon. You could tell that they weren't just like, let's make this episode and see what happens next. There was a plan. So it was really well done. Do they incorporate any of the other villains or, or aspects of the original cartoon series? I think everything is mixed in there. There is so much time that you have. First off, you have like so many different origins of the turtles, right? And, you, and when you're making this new show, you got to be like, what are we going to do? Are we going to have what we talked about in the comics where you have a man holding turtles get splashed with, you know, mutagen? Or in the new IDW series, are you going to make him a rat that is a reincarnated he was a person into a rat body and his, he was actually had four kids that were reincarnated into turtle bodies. Or you're going to do the movie wherein he was a rat, got splashed with mutagen and because he came in contact with a man. There's so many different, so you have to make that choice of which one are we going to, you know, go towards. And he was a man mm, in okay. that one. So, you know, you, you lend yourself to the original, original comic book in that. Um, you have the colored mask, which, you know, the 1987 series, the character development. Um, Bebop and Rocksteady are are in there and they were the only reason they were introduced is to sell toys in in the 1987 series and you have all these different characters that were in the comic book but maybe weren't in the first TV show and to see all of these intertwined because I, I mentioned how finicky we are I feel like it pleases everyone because you have a little bit from like well 2003 cartoons the best no I like the I like the IDW series and, and everyone can go like oh this is there from this Mm -hmm. and you, you just add in all the flavors of the different voice actors that are in there. I mean, you got, you got Roseanne, you got Gilbert Godfrey, um, Robert England, Freddy Krueger. He plays a bad guy in the, the series. Um, you have a lot of different characters that, that are in there and Mark Hamill, Star Wars, you know, um, there's so many different voice actor too. Amazing. He's, you know, he's played so many different things over, over his career and well, and you have all the Lucy Lawless is in there. You know, I, it's, I can just keep Lewis Black. You can keep pulling all these different characters. These eclectic characters, Corey Feldman, who was in the original Ninja Turtles that voiced Donatello. He voices Slash in, in the series. So he, he definitely did his homework for trying to pull all of these pieces together, but yet still craft his own story. And it sounds like that's something where if you're watching that with your daughter, she's enjoying the performances on their uh, more direct level. But you can also recognize some of these celebrity voices, people who you've seen in other things, people who you've heard in, in previous iterations. And so you get to enjoy it on multiple levels. And it kills me not to be able to tell her that, hey, well, this guy is this. Because she has no idea. She would have no idea what I'm talking about. So Quiet, Dad. I just have to... To sit on it. I mean, imagine, picture yourself in a room watching Star Wars with a child and staring at them in the Empire Strikes Back scene and waiting for their reaction when they, Luke, I am your father. And not being able, you can't spoil it, right? You got to let them see it. And, and th that's kind of what I feel like sometimes um, in that, which if anyone's thinking about checking it out, funny that I mentioned that. Uh, I did an interview with, with Ciro Nielli and he mentioned that his first cinematic experience was like, watching empire strikes back and he said he felt that he wanted to be involved in movies because of like the the overall picture that that painted the build-up to that mm -hmm. in this series i won't do any spoilers in case you're going to check it out it has its own two empire strikes back moments where 
like both times I watched it, I, I got up out of the seat. I was like, what? Shut the front door. Like what's, what's going on with this? So, um, it, it, it's great to see that type of connections. And again, the fact that I can't relate it to my daughter, I'm like, well, maybe if she revisits this in six or seven years, she'll, you know, have a, a better appreciation for that. But she just loves the animation and the characters. Now, if someone were, you know, were to, to hear this podcast, but had no background whatsoever, where would you introduce them? I think there's two mediums that really lend themselves well. I think the first show, I mean, I'm biased, right? I love the 2012 show. So I'll start there. The 2012 show, I think will please anyone. It's, it's about a hundred episodes. So you, you can binge it. I mean, that's, that's the syndic the syndication mark, right. Of, of mm -hmm. having a hundred episodes, but there's so many great one-off episodes that you can watch and not feel like, oh, I'm going to check something out, but I really don't want to watch an origin. I, I kind of know a little bit about them. I kind of want to just see a show. Uh, there's a, uh, an episode in season two, episode two. So deuces are wild here called in invasion of the squirrelinoids. And one thing I love about the show, as I mentioned, how it's a family show, it's about family, it's about the connections, but the producer, Ciro, has a, a huge connection to horror and the invasion of the squirrelinoids, these things, they look like xenomorphs from aliens and they are squirrels that go into your body, through your mouth, they duplicate in your stomach and they come out and then they turn into the xenomorph looking things. And the amount of pop culture references to horror movies in there is crazy. I mean, to something that would be somewhat obvious, Michelangelo at some point, you're game over, man, game over, man. <laughs> and there are so many little nuggets in there. So you have your humor, you have your horror, you have your family. It, it, it's a great episode without any spoilers being in season two when a lot has gone down at the end of season one. And the second episode for, for those that would maybe want a little more story and a little less horror would be in, in season three, episode eight, there's this episode called vision quest where the turtles are in the woods. They're splinterless and they are staying at April O'Neil's family's house that is out of the city and they're doubting themselves at every turn. So you see this idea of like, I can't do this. I'm a failure. I stink at everything. And the turtles are forced to, on a spiritual level, combat all their fears. And you have, you know, Raphael being too much of a hothead in dealing with that. Raphael is always, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. Donatello's too much in his brain. He has to deal with that. Michelangelo is not focused. Leonardo doubts himself as a leader. And they're just both tied together beautifully. So I, I would recommend those one-offs to anyone. And then... For those that are maybe not wanting to go into a, a cartoon, you could check out the IDW series. That's current. That's, that's been running for, for eight years now, and there's over a, a hundred issues in that. And it retells the classic stories from the, from the 80s, but again, puts its own spin on it. And no Turtle series has ever gone to a hundred issues. So now they're telling all new tales. And there are some unique characters in there. The artwork is amazing they they have artists on there for about like 10 to 12 issues and they all fit the turtles and i i highly recommend it i know i i recommended it to adam and and he said that he watched the uh he read the first the first book right yeah i just got through the first 12 issues of the idw series um actually through the library you can request the book and uh the buffalo erie county library system you can uh shout out to public libraries yes exactly that was a fantastic thing where they actually ordered it because they didn't have it in stock. And I spent the last three weeks 
reading that and it is really good and i i forgot how much i enjoy the the weird characters i mean you're dealing with the whole thing where mutagen or radiation or whatever reincarnation and you do it to various animals or they have are there aliens involved i forget well the krang are aliens right okay I, mean, I can't believe we went through this whole thing. We didn't talk about the crane. Right. Such a silly word. Yeah. I mean, you talk about a, a living brain, right? I yeah. mean, how unique is that? There's just so many weird things to it, which really is, it's a lot of fun. I guess we've talked before here on about Doctor Who, and that has some crazy, weird things to it, which is fun. And I think the turtles lend itself to that as well, where you can, you have your serious moments, you have your family moments, you have your laughing, your... Uh, off the wall nuts it it really for something that went like as a riff off of a, another comic book series didn't seem like it would go anywhere then it de- evolved into this marketing push in some ways and then it became this actually very well done you know shows movies comic series like I feel like the people who do those don't take it for granted and they want to tell a fun story or a good story and yeah, the IDW is a really good comic series if you can have a chance. I think you just gave it a ringing endorsement. I mean, again, again, it's 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 so different than the cart like what you were just describing. It's different than the cartoon, but yet the turtles are still their essence. I mean, you have a you have a woman in her her mid thirties, April. I haven't mentioned April, and and she's in the comic book, but yet in the Ciro Nielli show, she's a teenager. And at first, thought that's another reason I wasn't going to give it uh, any weight or any any look, but it works. I mean. Who wants to watch a show about someone in their 30s? Like being an adult weighs you down, right? <laughs> I'd much rather watch this this girl trying to figure herself out with four teenage turtles because they're the same age as her, right? And going through the same awkward problems. So there's a medium of turtles for everyone out there, depending on what your pleasure is. You got to interview um, Sierra. I'm sorry if I'm... Yeah, Sierra. Sierra. Um, who, executive producer, you know, basically was writing and doing all this for the show the 2012 Nickelodeon series. Uh, as I recall, you were having an online chat about turtles kind of with the fan group. And then he heard about it like someone, and then he wanted to become involved just because he heard how passionate everyone was. And what was that like getting to chat with him and interview him about the whole process? You talk about dreams coming true on something. COVID-19 is a, is a horrible thing, right? But it gave me an opportunity when I was talking to a friend who is his art rep. Um, cause he does commissions and stuff like that and artwork. And I was just mentioning the fact of, I was going to lead a chat because all a bunch of turtle fans were like, Hey, we got nothing going on. We're stuck at home. Let's all take a, a iteration of the turtles we like and speak about it. And I chose a 2012 show and I told him this in passing and he sent me a screenshot of when he, he texts zero, he sent a screenshot of what I was saying. And he's like, I'm in. And the whole reason he was in is I actually got a commission from him of the, the first turtle thing that I remember having that was not a silly thing, something tangible that I used was the first season VHS tape that came out. They were really brightly drawn. I remember my dad brought it for me. So I had him do a commission in his style of the 2012 show of that 1987, which kind of, again, shows the connection between my daughter and, and my dad and everything like that. And his response was, I'm in this. He's like, Anyone that is going to ask for a VHS commission cover either has to be a genius or he's a maniac. And I want to know both. (laughs) (laughs) So we did our interview and I shared with him the the same thing about my dad. But I thanked him because I'm like, we wouldn't have had this connection if it wasn't for your show. And I I got really choked up and I'm not really an emotional person. And 
that's the way we concluded that interview. And it was a dream come true to be able to, because at first he just watched me talk about the show. I went through all five seasons and talked about what I loved and, and the little nuances that I picked up on the show and, and the little bits and pieces of just him understanding pop culture. I mean, I said you got Seth Green's in the series. And at some point, one of the turtles, Michelangelo, makes a, a joke about, don't go in the basement. There's creepy clowns in the basement. And Seth Green was in it. And there's a creepy clown in the basement. And just these little things that are connected. And I mentioned that to him. And he's like, I don't think a lot of people pick up on this or they don't tell me about it in interviews. So I think he was appreciative of how, I mean, let's just call it obsessed, I am about the show. <laughs> and it was cool to be able to geek out with the person that is responsible for my geeking out. I remember watching that, like watching you interview him and, and he, he did seem excited too, just to be able to have these other fans. Cause you, you opened it up to for questions from other people and for that creator, you know, here's something, a big part of his life was this and it affects a lot of people who are so into it. And you, re I did see like both of you really like it. It just seemed like it was a really, I enjoyed watching it too. And I didn't know much about the show at the time, but it was cool watching how a creator reacts to his fans and him discussing the whole process. And yeah, he was totally into that. And it was really nice the way he did that. And Fletcher, he's Team Donatello too, by the way. I asked uh, him about his favorite turtle and he was Team Donnie. So he, he's on board with that. You had mentioned the the fan community online and, and that you've had these conversations and, and discussions with people. If somebody is a, a solo Turtles fan, how would they find that? Social media is a good presence, right? Um, I'm, a, I'm a big Facebook user right now, and there is a, a tr several Turtles group. There's a uh, 1984 slash forever Turtles group, which, you know, you're supposed to be a fan of the original series all the way up to Rise, the, the new series that's been on the last couple of years. There is a art collecting group where people will show off promotional pieces, posters, kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff. And that's, that's always fun to look at. The Ninja Turtles official Instagram always posts something unique and cool and stylish on this date. So they'll give you some history, fun stuff, facts, videos. It's the, the Instagram is, is something for like, I would say like a casual fan that was trying to like dip their toes in. Mm -hmm. to get some information because they provide links to outside, you know, websites and credits as well. So I think those are some, some good avenues. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, guys. I love talking turtle with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Enthusiasts Guild. You can find all of our episodes on your podcast player of choice. You can find us on Facebook at The Enthusiasts Guild, on Twitter at Enthusiast Guild, and on Instagram at The Enthusiasts Guild. You can also email us at TheEnthusiastsGuild at gmail.com. Our music this episode is Welcome to the Show by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com used under a Creative Commons license. <laughs>